In November 2020, Purdue Pharma and its owners entered into plea agreements that resolve all current federal criminal and civil charges related to the actions they took to increase prescriptions of the company's opioid medications. Because Purdue is engaged in ongoing bankruptcy proceedings, it's unclear how much of the billions of dollars it owes under these settlements will ever be paid. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Corey Davis, Deputy Director of the Network for Public Health Law's Southeastern Regional Office. Mr. Davis has written a perspective article about the Purdue Pharma opioid settlement. Mr. Davis, stepping back, what was the role of Purdue Pharma's opioid medication OxyContin in fueling the opioid epidemic? It's a good question. It's a little unclear exactly how much of the blame for the current epidemic of opioid-related harm can be laid squarely at the feet of Purdue and other pharmaceutical manufacturers. But it's clear that they had a significant impact, particularly in the early years of the epidemic. The underlying social determinants are a little complicated. There are a number of factors that contribute to the current overdose crisis, but it's clear that overprescribing of opioid analgesics in the 2000s through the 2010s helped to make a lot of people dependent on those medications, and that led to preventable addiction and later on preventable overdose. So how early were Purdue executives aware that the company's products were linked to addiction, to overdose deaths, and how did they respond to that knowledge? Well, they've been aware for quite some time. I mean, as far back as 2007, the company pled guilty in federal courts to a variety of crimes related to claims that they had made that the medication was less addictive, less subject to misuse, less likely to cause dependence, which they knew were untrue. So it was clear by that time in the mid-2000s that the medications were addictive, that people were misusing them, and that they were causing preventable opioid-related harm. So it's been 15 years, if not longer, that the company was aware that its products were causing harm and not only failed to take steps to reduce that harm, but actively sought to increase inappropriate prescribing of their opioid medications. So the November settlement wasn't produced first. What charges, what penalties were included in previous settlements? Purdue has entered into a number of previous settlements, both with the federal government and with various states. And all of those settlements allege similar claims. It essentially amounts to the company making false statements about the addictive nature of the medications. Technically, in federal courts, they have pled guilty to misbranding. They have pled guilty to violations of the federal anti-kickback statute. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to this practice of behavior of the company lying about the potential harms associated with their medication and trying to convince physicians, trying to convince pharmacists of those false claims and inducing those physicians and pharmacists to continue putting the drugs out the door, even though the company knew that they were being prescribed inappropriately, they were being prescribed for uses not only for which they weren't approved, but for which they were actively harmful. Can you summarize 
the latest plea agreements, the November agreements, and was the outcome there a surprise to any of the stakeholders? Taking the second question first, I mean, it's a good question. I would say that it was a disappointment to a lot of the stakeholders, but not really a surprise. So in this latest settlement, the company itself pled guilty to some minor federal charges, mostly related to this violations of the anti-kickback statute. And the company itself agreed to pay over a little over $8 billion in criminal fines, civil fines, and it's called criminal forfeiture. But because, as you said, the company is currently in bankruptcy proceedings, it's unclear how much of that money will ever actually be paid because we don't know if the company is going to have the money to satisfy those judgments. Separately, the Sackler family, which owns Purdue Pharmaceuticals, agreed to pay a fine of $225 million that will be paid. Of course, that's a very small percentage of the amount of money that the Sacklers have made from the improper marketing of OxyContin over the years. The company itself pled guilty to these federal charges, but that's really a legal fiction. No individuals pled guilty. So none of the corporate executives and no members of the Sackler family were actually charged or convicted of any crime. So it really comes down to the company promising to pay what seems to be a large amount of money to settle these charges. But at the end of the day, who knows how much of that money will actually end up being paid. So why do you think there haven't been more penalties or charges against the individuals involved? It's a good question. As I posit in the perspective piece, it really seems to come down to the fact that the company itself, the executives and the owners, can afford a lot of justice. As we say, they are able to hire the most expensive, well-connected law firms, the most expensive, well-connected consulting firms, the most expensive and well-connected lobbyists. And as we note in the piece, shortly after 9-11, Rudy Giuliani was a very influential public figure, and he was hired by the company to try to head off some of these state lawsuits to run interference with the head of the DEA, who he met with personally. They were just able to really work the system to make it very difficult for the system to come after them with more serious charges. And of course, that's something that a lot of less well-connected people can't afford to do. So finally, and given all of that, how far do you think these settlements go toward discouraging pharmaceutical executives from engaging in similar behavior in the future? And what perhaps would more effective deterrence look like? In my opinion, it's going to do very little. I mean, if I was a bad actor, as Purdue Pharma has admitted in federal court to being, I would see this as just the cost of doing business. This is kind of the cost of regulatory compliance. While it's not clear exactly the connection between the company's business practices and opioid-related harm, including preventable overdose, I don't think anybody disagrees that their products have led to the preventable deaths of thousands, if not tens of thousands, of Americans. And their penalty for that will be potential payment of some fines, which come not out of the pockets of the executives, but from the corporation. So I personally don't see it having much of a deterrent effect 
at all. I think it would be viewed as just the cost of doing business, just like any other regulatory compliance. You do everything you can to make as much money as you can without regard for the health of the people you might be hurting. And then when you're caught, eventually, you just write a check and it goes away. I mean, that is what this settlement says to me. And I would imagine that's probably the message that it's sending to other corporate bad actors as well. As to what I would do instead, I'm always loath to recommend putting human beings in prison. That's a punishment that should really be reserved for extremely bad actors. But it seems to me that corporate officials and owners who knowingly market products that they know are killing people might be an appropriate punishment in this case. At the very least, the executives and the owners who made these decisions to put profits over people should be forced to pay back all of those profits plus fines on top. That might be at least something of a deterrent to other corporate executives and other owners who are considering whether to make similar decisions in the future. Thank you, Mr. Davis.